Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right. Um, last week we were celebrating Easter, the, the death, but mostly we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and what that means to us. And uh, we finished off by, by bringing it all back down to what is God requiring of us out of all of this, right? He died, he rose again, and what's, what's he requiring? And it's our response. What will we say, yes or no? We simplified it. And so I'm going to continue on that path. Uh, we're going to do Easter part two, and really we're going to talk about confident faith. But um, bringing it back to the story, because we kind of weaved from Good Friday to Sunday, we were weaving through the story there. Uh, to the end of the Gospels. And, and uh, so we'll pick up there in Mark 16, 6, and I read this last week to start. Do not be alarmed. Mary was going to find Jesus, uh, the dead body, and going to honor him. And it says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where you've laid him. Now, it's been a week since then. If we're trying to uh, put ourselves in the story, it's been one week since then. And so what's happening, right? And some of you will know this already, but Jesus stayed on the earth before his ascension. He stayed on the earth for 40 days. And we know that because it says it right in Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with you all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Then he ascends, and then the, the very next thing now we're waiting for is Pentecost. And we're going to celebrate that in a, in a celebratory style. I can't wait for that. But until we get there, I want to look at the, the, uh, the resurrection. Now, I was going to just talk about the proofs for the resurrection because Paul said the resur- our, our faith hinges on the resurrection. And th- that's often, you know, when someone asks you, why do you believe what you believe? A good answer would be because Jesus rose from the dead. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Paul taught. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we believe. Because if he didn't raise from, uh, rise from the dead, then none of us will be raised from the dead either. And all of our preaching is in vain. So that's where I was going to preach this week. I'm going to do it next week. <laughs> and instead we're going to get on to... Because I, sometimes we're looking at some of the challenges because the culture challenges this truth. It does. Our culture is getting increasingly hostile, and I don't want to be, you know, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but our culture is increasingly hostile towards the Bible. And there is skepticism all over, not just from outside, but from inside the church. And so today I want to look at more, not just the answer and how we know about the resurrection, we'll get to that next week, but I actually want to look at how do we approach these kinds of questions? How do we approach skepticism? How do we approach truth? How can we have a confident faith? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, in our culture, um, questioning is more important than knowing the truth. Now, I want to say something. There's been an imbalance. What we've had is this imbalance of don't question anything, right? Maybe some of you have been raised in a home like that. Don't question anything. Just do. Just believe. That's not good. But we've swung right over to the other side where questioning is everything but people aren't required to seek out truth or seek out an answer. And so we, we actually want to find ourselves in the middle. We want to find ourselves firmly planted on truth. And questions are good. Learners, if you are a student, if you're a learner, a forever learner, and I would encourage you to be that way, you would, you'll ask questions. You'll ask questions. You'll want to seek truth. But when you're asking questions, you're seeking answers and seeking truth. And that's a good thing to do, right? So... This is the problem that we're dealing with right now. We can say, well, I believe in the Bible, right? I believe in the Bible. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And then the skeptic comes and says, how do you actually know that it's true? What do you say? Why do you believe what you believe? Jesus wasn't born from a virgin. You know that's impossible, right? Like, you do know that doesn't happen. And you Google search this because Google always tells you everything, right? I mean, that's our, our best source of information. And it'll give you all sorts of theories on who Jesus' secret wife was. Then we said, well, we believe because he died and he rose again. We're like, yeah, Jesus wasn't even a real person. Or sure, he died, but people don't raise from the dead. How can you prove that? 
You see, we get stuck on, I mean, but it's the truth. And then you say, well, truth is relative. I mean, that's your truth. That's not my truth. You ever heard those kind of words before? Can you even know truth? Many people in our society today, even within the church, would say, you can't really know. You just kind of guess and you hope for the best. Hope for the best, right? I mean, hope is a good thing, but I don't know if I want to just hope that I know truth. Right? Sometimes we approach, even as believers, we're kind of timid. We approach what's in here. You say, well, this is kind of like what I think. This is my opinion. It's not my opinion. If it's in here, this is truth. It's not my opinion. It's truth. I'll unapologetically stand on that, right? Right and wrong are really a matter of personal conviction. Have you heard that one before? Don't give me your, your morals from that ancient book from a culture that doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> Feeling a little bit uncomfortable? <laughs> right? Is this what worries us when we step out in faith? You know, we've been talking lots about love God, love people, be disciples, make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Go and share your faith. But then you hear questions like this, and you're like, well, I don't even know how I would answer that. Like, what am I actually supposed to share? Maybe you're sitting here and you have those same questions. Problems with just belief. I won't spend a lot of time in here, but blind faith. So often what we're told is you just have blind faith. And, and sometimes because we've lived in a Christian world, right? Now just believe. You're like, well, isn't that all we need? Yes and no. Yes and no. James says that even the demons believe. So yes and no, it's not just believe. It also says that we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved and that we're supposed to be ready to make a defense. And we'll get on to that later on. But the problem with blind faith is we, how do we respond to the culture or our friends or our own doubts when we have questions or they have questions? And then with blind faith, how do you even know you're following God the way that he wants you to follow him? Have you ever heard someone challenge you, like, you, you, you know, you say, well, God is love. Christians are all about love. Then the culture says, we're all about love. You're not about love. You say God loves us, but if you don't, you know, but, but then if you don't love him back, he's going to send you to hell. We covered this a couple weeks ago. That's a scary objection to hear, isn't it? How do you respond to that? The Bible is the word of God. Do you not know that it's full of contradictions? I've heard this one too. By the way, all of these are common things that you'll find from skeptics. I've heard most of them myself personally. But you'll find them in there. Now, we live in a post-Christian world, and there are things from our Christian world, because we when we were raised when I was younger, there was kind of this agreed you know, set of morals. Everyone kind of agreed on what was right and wrong. And most people were either Christians, or, or at least they knew about Christianity, and it was just, that's just the way things are. And here we are, you know, how many, I don't know how old I am, but however old I am, 40 years old, I do know. But I'm many years past that, and we are no longer in a Christian world. A lot of those assumptions that we had, we just, we just believe because everyone kind of believes the same thing, so we just believe. It's no longer good enough because we're post-Christian, and those just believe Points that we used to just believe in are being challenged, and Scripture admonishes us to have answers. Now, I think there are very good reasons to believe. We're going to cover one of them next week, and that's the resurrection. But there are many other good reasons to believe. Many others. I actually think it's easier to believe what we believe than to believe what atheists believe. I, I would be of the opinion that they actually live by more faith than I do. You might say, well, that's your opinion. Maybe it is. But I also think to those questions I was posing there, some of those that made us uncomfortable, I think the Bible has very good answers for all of those questions. I think our problem is usually that we're not spending enough time in here to find those answers. Now, the problem with that is threefold. It leaves us, number one, unable to answer people when they ask honest questions. Not everyone who challenges you is challenging you because they think you're dumb or they're trying to mock Christianity. Sometimes they just have honest questions. Why do you believe what you believe? 
You know, they've heard, how can a loving God send people to hell just for not knowing him? What about this one? Like, so, so you're saying Jesus is the only way to, to heaven. Yeah. So, so you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. Yeah. And if not, you're going to hell. Yeah. So what happens to the person in the Amazon? It's always the Amazon. I don't know why. But everyone goes to the Amazon. What happens to the person in the Amazon who never hears about Jesus? You're saying that God loves them, but they're raised, they never hear about Jesus, they go to hell. What do we say to that? Do you know the Bible has great answers for that? Not exactly to the person in the Amazon. <laughs> That's not in there. At least I haven't found that yet. Uh, maybe it's in a lost book somewhere. But do you know that the Bible says in Romans that creation points to God so that no one has an excuse? And then we get a story of Philip and the eunuch. Well, what happened there? The eunuch according to Romans, was looking around, knew that there was something more. Right? So the heart was there. What did God do? Sent someone. You think his hand is shortened? Anyways, I digress. So leave us open, unable to answer people when they ask honest questions. It opens us up to deception. That's a scary one. And the Bible commands us to do more than just believe. That is actually the truth. Right? And if we build our lives on this book... On Christ, when we look in here and say, this is the authoritative word of God, and we not just read it, but we read it, we memorize it, we live it, we obey it, and we share it, you'll find it has wonderful, wonderful answers and directions for our lives, and there's lots of fruit in it. So, anyhow, the Bible commands us to do more than just believe. So we're supposed to do all three, and it also commands us to not just uh, read the word, not, don't just be hearers of the word, but be Doers of the word. Yeah. So you don't just believe, you don't just hear, you do, you obey. First John 5, verse 3, right? This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Yeah, we do more than believe. Okay, moving on to the next point. And by the way, I'm opening up this conversation on here because we're going to talk worldviews in just a moment. But uh, this is not, we'll talk about it once today. We'll continue talking about this now uh, as we go forward, probably throughout this next year especially. Uh, because I really feel like this is critical for us to, to make sure that we're building our lives on the right foundation. There's lots that we need to do in life. I totally get that. And we'll try to address all of those things. But it's important what we're building on. And that's really what we're talking about today. So how do we have a confident faith? Know what and why you believe. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's part of our job. You know, sometimes, see this, and I, don't, I wish we had time. Like, honestly, as I was going through the prep time, there were so many different lies and misconceptions that I wanted to address just today, and I, I know we just won't have time. We will get into them. But this just believe one has really ruined a lot of believers within the church. Well, you just believe. And you know what salvation's all about? Just believe. It's fire insurance. Live your life however, the, however you want. Do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. Never spend any time in here. Go to church. It's optional. Church doesn't save you after all. Which is true. But it doesn't save you after all. Just believe, right? So we make it down to believe. And what do, what do we mean by belief? Intellectual belief. Do I believe that Jesus was real? Do I believe that he died? Do I believe that he was risen again? risen for our sins. And we make it about an intellectual belief, even though James clearly says, you know, the demons believe and they shudder. Do you think Judas believed? He believed. So did Peter. But there's a contrast. Clearly one of them got saved in the end and one of them did not. They both denied Jesus. It's more than just believe. Anyhow, I digress. Let's go back to this. Can we have a confident faith in the middle of a culture that's actively proclaiming that we're foolish, bigoted, bigoted, primitive, science-denying misogynists? And those are quotes I've taken from elsewhere. Those are things that we're accused of. That's, those are things that God is accused of that break my heart. And I say, well, have you actually read this? Like, you do realize you're saying this God hates people. This is the same God who so loved the world that he gave his son? He was willing to pay your penalty and he offers it for free? 
Okay, anyways. I believe the answer is a resounding yes, as you already know. With me, I hope. I believe the biggest reasons Christians are afraid to share their faith is because they're not confident in their faith. And I know there's other things, busyness and fear and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, but I really think a lack of confidence in what you believe is, is a leading cause of paralyzation in your faith where you just kind of sit back. What we believe matters. Now, I'll give you an example on why it matters. Um, we're going to Tobemori again this year, and I'm very excited about that. Right, Katie? Huh? We're going to Tobemori, it's going to be awesome. And uh, even though we've been to Tobemori many times, many times, uh, you would think, I know the way, right? Nope, I don't know the way. I'm directionally challenged. And I don't know if that's a really a thing. I should Google search it. But if it's not a thing, I'm starting it. It is a thing for me. I, I get lost everywhere. I come out of a store in the mall, and I'll turn left, and Lou's like, right, oh. I've gotten spun around in this building way more times than I can count. Anyways, I feel like the Lord waited to, to bring me into creation until there was things called GPS for a reason. He said, son, you are going to need this thing. Like, you're not going to go anywhere without it. And it's true. I don't. So we're going to plug in the GPS when, when uh, we go to Tobermory. We're going to plug in. So before you venture towards Tobermory, what are the two things that I need for that GPS to function? What's the first one? Pa okay, I didn't even think of that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to equate that to the Holy Spirit so that's good, it's not in my notes but <laughs> that was very good <laughs> so yes, you need the Holy Spirit you need power, that's in your GPS what's the next thing you need? there's two things address, so you're going to need current location like where are you starting? because if I'm in Quebec Tobermory is in, in Ontario if I'm in Quebec then I have to go west but because I'm in Manitoba, I have to go east. <laughs> Can you see why the current location is so critical? If all I had was the destination, Tobermory, depending on where I am, I might end up in a very different place other than Tobermory. And wonder why. Like, I put in Tobermory, I don't understand how we're not getting there. So, to get to where you want to go, you need to understand where you are, how you got there, right? And then you need to understand where you're going. But there's more than that, actually. There's more. There's nuances. Because uh, especially if you go the Canadian route to, uh, to Ontario, which we've had to do when the borders were shut down during COVID, if you go the Canadian route, there's a stretch, a very long stretch with no gas stations. So you have to plan accordingly if you don't want to be stranded along the side of the road. So you need to know where you're going to go to the bathroom, where you're going to fill up with gas, where you're going to eat, and where you're going to sleep on your traveling to Tobermory. So your GPS helps you with all of that. It helps you plan so you can get there safely, right? And then lastly, the last thing you need to get to your destination is you actually need to just get in your vehicle and move. You need to do something about it, right? So I need this information. I need to know where I'm starting. I need to know where I'm going. I need to know how to deal with problems along the way. And then lastly, I simply need to go and do it. Follow the instructions. What does that have to do with a confident faith? Any of you wondering that? Okay, well... GPS, we got to make sure our GPS is working. And our GPS, think of it like a framework of thinking, is called a world view. Every one of us has a world view. Your world view is a structure by which you process information, by which you determine your beliefs, it influences your values, it influences your behaviors. And your worldview answers a lot of the... Uh, there's three primary questions that your worldview is answering, um, but then there's many other questions that are built on top of those answers. But your worldview answers three basic ones, and that is origin, where did you come from, problems, what's wrong with the world, and solution, how do we fix what's wrong with the world. So this is a worldview. Now you might be sitting here thinking, I don't have one of those. And I will argue with you and say, yes, you do. Everyone does. There's all sorts of worldviews out there. You know, and that's often when you're talking to a skeptic, when they're, they're challenging on your faith. I remember talking to uh, two people that I was sharing my, my faith with. They were mocking me. I was sharing, somehow they banded together on me. But anyhow, I was sharing my faith with them separately. They, they then banded together against me and they were mocking me for my faith. Like, oh, I guess you just have faith. And I used, I think it's, is it C.S. Lewis that used the Swiss watch in the, in the gar yeah, dad's shaking his head. Thanks, dad. Appreciated that. 
I thought Sam or Dad. Sam's also pretty studious with C.S. Lewis. Anyways, um, so I went to, okay, you guys say I have faith. Like, I used the computer analogy. I said, you know, bring our computer. This is, this is a computer. You bring this out into the woods, and you're saying that you could look at this computer, and you would just say it just created itself. Well, no. So you would say that something that complex would have to have a creator. Well, yeah. But you're saying that there was no creator. We're a thousand times more complex than that computer. And you're saying we had no creator, we just made ourselves? Then they were doubling back. Well, we're not saying that we don't believe in anything. I just, like, I mean, I don't know about the, right? And And then they're worrying. See, they were answering these questions too. We don't always think about it. But the world, naturalism will tell you that it's evolution. We just kind of came into existence. We're just, you know, it's random molecules that are bouncing around and everything is random. There's no purpose or meaning in life. You're like, well, what's the danger in believing that? I'll tell you, one of them is, what's the value of human life? There is no value to human life. Do you know why I'm against abortion? Do you know why we're against abortion? Why we're against made? Because we believe that we came, that God created us, that, and out of all of creation, human beings are the imago Dei, created in the very image of God. That we are precious and valuable. That's why it matters what we believe. It matters that you know where you come from and who you are. The Bible has lots of things to say about our worldview, even beginning with these first three questions. And there's many others that are built on there. I'll look at a few in a moment. But we were a special creation from God. God created everything. Humans are a special creation, made in God's image, Imago Dei. Problem, creation was good, human sin, bringing evil into the world. We just covered this, uh, I think, a month ago. Solution, God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the substitute. Amen? We just celebrated that last week. He came and paid our debt. That's the solution. And expanding on that, right, you have creation, you have fall, you have redemption, and expanding on that solution is there is going to be an absolute restoration of all things because the one who died, who rose again, said he's coming back. That's our worldview, basically. Everything else is built on top of that. Now, these are basic truths, they are, uh, but these basic truths actually are anchoring when you go back to them. They're anchoring. Sometimes you have doubts, you have worries, there's, you get stuck on the periphery things within Scripture. There might be a verse or a passage that sticks out or someone asks you a question you're not sure. You go back to what you know. You go back to what you know. Did everything just come out of nothing? Does that make sense? No. Hopefully you have your experience to rely on as well. We're going to get into that in another time. All right. So upon this foundation, so it's very, very important. During COVID, actually, this was a huge exercise for me. I spent a lot of time in here, but I, I, I hope you guys know this about me already. I love my time in the Word. I love it. I memorize it. I study it. I read it. I go front to back, back to front. I go inside. I color it up. I mark it up. Anytime something stands out, I try to memorize it and... I'm, I'm working on that, and it's a work in process. And then, you know what I do? I live my, I submit my life underneath it. In COVID, that was my biggest thing. How do I respond? Well, that's, you know what I was doing? Praying, yeah. I spent hours searching this thing, searching stories to see if we could find an instruction on how we should respond. I wasn't just going to do what the culture was doing. I was going to do whatever I found in here. Does that make sense? That's how I handled the split, too. I go in here. Why? Because whatever this says, I know that for sure. This I can stand on. It is an authority in my life. It is the authority in my life. Right? God revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and Jesus revealed himself in his word. All right. Upon this foundation, we have other questions. We've talked about these just recently. Identity, who am I? This is a critical question. If you don't know those first three answers, though, you're going to get really off on on these answers. Because... Naturalism, I already kind of pointed to that everything has a natural explanation, right? Uh, what you can see and touch are the only things that are real. 
By the way, we'll look at some of those in greater detail in the, in the coming months and throughout the year. Um, don't want to spend all the time on it now. But, but, uh, but anyways, when you, naturalism kind of turned into secularism, which is the, where, where God is the self. You are the self. And you know what it says there with identity, who am I? You are whoever you want to be. You are whatever you feel like. And it's chaos, because what I feel like differs than from what you feel like, and who's the ultimate authority, and there is no ultimate authority. Anyways, purpose, what, what should I be doing? Belonging, where do I fit? Who are my people? And many more. So your, your worldview influences all of your values, your thoughts, your beliefs, and your behaviors or actions. Your worldview does. Which means, actually, you can actually determine your own worldview. I would encourage you guys to, to go and examine. What do you believe? We'll talk about that coming up, too. But not just based on which answers you say yes or no to. That's a good way to start. Look at your behaviors. Your behaviors will tell you a lot about what you really believe. They will. I don't mean that to condemn anyone here because none of us are saved by our perfection anyhow. But we can learn a lot by our behaviors. What do we live for? Are we able to handle hardship? I'm going to get onto a good example of that a little bit later. So I don't want to get ahead of myself there. Okay, so how do you get your worldview? Your worldview is formed basically through culture and relationships, mostly through relationships, but also through culture. You know, it's very interesting. We look at the uh, culture one, and I used to think this all the time. Well, I'm not influenced by things that I watch. Have you ever wondered why companies spend billions or millions and billions of dollars on ads that they repeat over and over and over again? Why would they do that? Why would they waste good money? On, on something that never works. Because everyone is just, I'm my own person, and I'm not influenced by the things that I see. You know why? Because there's scads of research that says, you are very much so in, influenced by the things that you see in here. Especially the things that you see in here regularly. That's why scripture says, don't be conformed to the patterns of the world, the culture, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Culture will tell you what to believe, and it's interesting to watch as the culture because, I, I mean, nothing is new under the sun. We've had lots of cultures have gone up and down, kingdoms have risen and fallen, but, but we are seeing something that is interesting in our day and age right now, and that is the, the, the rules for the game we're playing in the culture seem to be changing every other day. But you get to see the different generations and how they think, what they believe is right and wrong is, it's like, Groupthink, it changes with each generation. Even though the individuals, what they say they believe, may be different. Your worldview forms by the time you're 13. That's why it's, Scripture says, train your child in the way that they should go. And if they depart from it, they'll come back to it. There's great value in training your child in the way that they should go. There's great value in that. Between the ages of 14 to 20 is usually where that worldview begins to be tested. And that's where you'll watch a lot of them shift as they test, especially if you're not strong in your worldview. All right. Now, let's look at some Barna research, because you love Barna. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. I love Barna. I love stats, uh, because stats are just fun to look at. Anyways, Barna says 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. That's not 6% of Christians. That's 6% of Americans. Now, you might say, ha, we're Canadian. We're not any better in fact, in many ways, I would say we're probably worse. And they think the same. It used to be 15 years ago, we were like, ooh, you know, us Canadians, we were definitely ahead on the morality scheme. But now when you look at that, they're watching us and saying, what is going on in Canada? Anyways, 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. Now, what does that mean? When Barna did this research, it was these eight categories that they had questions that regarded belief and behavior. Remember, both actually tell you what your worldview actually is. Does that make sense? So we could all say, we have a biblical worldview, and we could all have a different worldview in here. <laughs> right? right? When we actually looked at our beliefs and our behaviors and put those together with what the Bible teaches, and this is not, by the way, you're saying, well, are you saying we have to be perfect? No. But there is, if you have a biblical worldview, not only do you believe what the Bible teaches, you will be able to see a clear direction in your life. That's moving to align yourself underneath the authority of the word. There's movement, right? There's direction, not necessarily perfection. But purpose and calling, 
family, value of life. We talked about that one already briefly. God, creation, history, faith practices, sin, salvation, God relationship or relationship with God, human character and nature, lifestyle, behavior, relationships, Bible, truth, and morals. Those are all important categories that our worldview is influencing. And it says only 6% hold a biblical worldview. Now you might say, well, how many people actually identify as Christians? There the research is kind of, it's differing. Uh, I read two different stats, anywhere from 29 to 69% of, of Americans. So that, I know there's a range within that. So 29 to 69%. And that's why people say, well, Christians, you guys are in a minority. You guys are actually the majority still. We're not the majority anymore. Because there are a lot of people that claim to be Christian that are not actually following Jesus. And that is a thing. We see it in Scripture and we're seeing it in our world. There are a lot of people that say they follow Jesus. But it's not about just what you say. It also matters what you do. It does matter. Now, we'll get on to the save by works things later. That's for another time. Now let's look at another stat. Okay. What are we looking at here? This is pastors. Now we're going to shed some light on my position. Lots of fun. Okay, so uh, here we have from left to right all. That's kind of the average between all the different leaders. We have senior leader, assistant or associate teacher, teaching pastor, executive, and then children and youth. And then we have those different characters. So 6% of Americans, but you'll look at some of these stats, like look at the children and the youth or executive on human character and nature. 7%, 5% of lifestyle, behavior, and relationships. Do you think those are important to be based on the Bible if you're in a pastor, pastoral position? This is a very unsettling statistic. Averages though, purpose and calling, 57%, family value, 47%, God, creation, history. God, creation, history, only 44%. How does that even make sense within the church if these are leaders? That's less than half. Now, am I trying to scare everyone in here? No. Unless scaring you is going to cause you to love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If, if that happens, then, then sure, be scared by it. That's not my goal. But my goal is for us to have eyes that are wide open to see the, the nature of the culture that we're in, but to also then go into self-examination to say, what is it that I am believing and what is it that I am living for? We're in a post-Christian time. The worldview of the day is secularism, self as God, and syncretism, the blending of many worldviews. And that one you're going to see everywhere. I think the Barnes data on that one was 88%. 88% of Americans was syncretism. And that means they believe little pieces of a lot of different worldviews, which means basically that they live their life in cognitive dissonance, in confusion. Because it actually causes stress when you have a belief system that you're not living in line with. But when you blend these worldviews, you just live in confusion. Would you say that you can see our society living in confusion today? We're living in a time of confusion. Well, syncretism lines up with confusion. That is exactly what it leads towards. And our lack of biblical worldview leads to these, deconstructing of our faith. And by the way, there is a sense of, you know, when I say the deconstruction, there, there is sometimes, and I just read a story recently of someone who was deconstructing. We hear that and we're like, <gasps> they abandon their faith. Not always. Sometimes there are things that have crept into the church that need to be deconstructed, like if we're doing things that aren't based on a biblical worldview. <laughs> right? If, you're, if you have a progressive worldview, that, that's not a biblical worldview, then I would say you need to deconstruct that view and build a biblical worldview. Right? But I'm talking about deconstruction where we're looking at, you know, the Bible talks about one man and one woman in the confines of marriage. That's the only use for sex. Well, that was written then. That's what I'm talking about. Or they're deconstructing. Right? I read recently someone who's critiquing Dr. Yuan, who we just had here. Right? He did such an amazing job. Well, they were critiquing him uh, because he had made a comment about Matthew Vines. So Matthew Vines is a believer, talks about same sex, and uh, he's very open with his you know, beliefs on, on gay marriage and all that kind of stuff, and his approval of it. He's gone into affirmation on that side. So anyhow, one of his friends or someone that worked with him now critiquing Dr. Yuan, and you know what I picked up right away in this very long critique? The worldview. You know what there was an absence of? A biblical worldview. 
You could see it right away. When you learn to look for it, you'll see it right away. Do you know what she was asserting that Yuan needs to do more of? Less time in here, more time talking to gay friends and people who've actually lived in gay marriage. That's how you learn how we should live in response to sexuality, by talking to people and their feelings. That's secularism, by the way. If you want to know which worldview that is, secularism, God is self. It's, how, it's my feelings. That's all over the place. And by the way, it's probably crept into all of us to some way, shape, or form because we live in the culture, and it is like impossible to not be stained by what's around us because we're all influenced by what we hear and see all the time. If we were raised a thousand years ago, we would be different than we are today. But here we are today for such a time as this, and we do not have to live in fear, but we do have to follow God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we do have to give him our full yes. It doesn't work to live for us, secularism, and say God is self, but then to hold the biblical worldview, but I'll keep Jesus, because I believe in him in my back pocket, just in case I stand before him one day, because I don't know if I actually believe that, but just in case I do, so I can say, get out of jail free. All right. What does the Bible say about all this? Because that's really what we're talking about is the most important, right? Yeah. Sorry, just looking at my time. Oh, I'll take a, this is a good time for water break. Okay. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know, it's interesting when you go into 1 Corinthians, uh, right between 1 and 3, that's where Paul is upset, and he's like, you know that verse where people say, uh, people often quote it, all you should preach is just preach Christ and him crucified, right? Which we should preach Christ and him crucified. Paul was going back there, Yes, he's making a point we should preach Christ and him crucified. He wasn't saying that that's all we should preach. He was frustrated because they had forgotten some of the basic things of the Christian worldview. <laughs> and they were switching off and they were following Apollos and he's like, I thank the Lord that I didn't baptize any of you and then he gives his little exclusion. He's frustrated and he's saying, go back to the basics, people. Jesus Christ, him crucified, that is the foundation of our faith, risen from the dead, go back to the basics. Anyhow, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to, de to destroy strongholds. We often quote that part, right? When we talk about spiritual warfare. And this is spiritual warfare, but you know part of spiritual warfare is renewing your mind. Look, we destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Well, what if you don't have a knowledge of God? How are you going to do that? I was asked by a very sincere young believer recently. So, I have a question for you. Yeah, what is it? Pulls out the Bible, opens to Leviticus 18. I'm like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> right? And sure enough. So, it was Leviticus 18. So, you're saying, like, I mean, here it talks about homosexuality is a sin and it deserves death. Yeah? And then she goes, well, what about Leviticus 24? I'm like, well, that one I don't know off the top of my head. <laughs> What's in Leviticus 24? Children who disobey their parents should also be stoned to death. Oh, she's a child? I'm like, well, that's maybe a good one. You should probably memorize that. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. But she pointed out an inconsistency. So why do we say one is so bad and not the other? Why aren't we focusing on both? And I said, well, that's a very good point. Actually, Scripture is clear that both are bad. But I said, now, to be fair, no one's stoning anyone to death now for those kinds of sins. All right, yeah. But Romans asserts that the wages of sin is still what? Death, right? So it's not stoning now, but there is an eternal death, right? There is an eternal separation from God that is coming for all sin. And yeah, the, 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 the person that engages when it says a man lies with another man, yes, but also the one who's disobedient to their parents, both sins are deserving of that death. I love that she pointed that out. And then she revealed some of the challenges that she was facing, in the fa and, and that was in school. And some of the challenges she was facing was, well, like, my friends just say, like, so, okay, I get that now. That, that actually makes sense. So 
So all sin is equally bad. Yep, all sin is equally bad. All of it leads you away from Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. Okay. So, but if Jesus is standing here today, and, and like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're uh, same-sex attracted, and you just want to be with this one man for, forever, and you're only going to be with him, and it's love. Like, like what's he going to say? These are the questions she's facing at school. Do you know how to answer those questions? See why it's a problem if we don't have a biblical worldview, if we don't actually know what the Bible teaches? It's not be just believe. Is that good enough? Is that what I should have told her? Well, it's just wrong. Just, no. No, I said, that's a great question. I, I said, that's really good. So what you have to know is, you know, we talk about love is love, yeah. But you know, the Bible teaches that God is love. Yeah. So if God is love, he actually defines what love is. Okay, yeah, yeah. God will never compromise immoral on, on immorality. He'll never compromise in his law. He doesn't sin. He's not like us. Okay, well, so what about like, so what if, um, so you're saying that you could have attractions or you could have a heart's desire that God will never let you fulfill on this earth? I said, yeah. I said, did you know that 360 million believers are persecuted for their faith every, like right now today? 360 million. They give up dreams, they give up relationships, they give up, and then I saw the eyes open up. I said, Jesus actually commands all of us to lay down our lives at the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's not like I live my life and I add Jesus into my life. That's not how it works. I look at my life and I say, I don't want this life. And I look at his life, Jesus, and I say, I want his life. So I leave this one behind. I nail it to a cross. And I pick up my cross and I follow Jesus because that's how I receive his life. She said, I guess if that's the nature of, like, if Jesus would allow people to be persecuted for him, it actually makes sense that he would allow people to also live a life where they didn't get to fulfill all their desires. And I said, absolutely yes. I navigated that because I had a biblical worldview. I believe what's in here. You know what that also causes me to do? Not look at people who are stuck in sin and judgment and thumb my nose at them. You know what a biblical worldview also does? Causes me to realize that I'm the same as everybody else. I'm no different than you. You're no different than me. In fact, if I had to rate it, I'd probably say I'm one of the worst in here. Dependent fully on Jesus' saving grace. That's my hope. I hope it's yours too. I'm running out of time. That's okay. I'll come back to some of this. Because <laughs> I have more times to preach. You know what I love about being the lead pastor? There's lots. <laughs> it's also challenging. One thing I love, though, is I can get to these spots where I'm like, oh, I don't know where to cut it off. I don't know what to put out. That's okay. I get to come back. <laughs> it's easy. The one-offs are so hard. I don't know how guys do that. Anyways, um, skip that. I'll come back to it. Don't worry, because we have a whole long time until Jesus returns uh, to, to cover this, right? Oh, yeah, look at this. Now, there we're going to go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. You guys, some of you are familiar with the story, some are not. So Crash Course, if you want to read the story, it's an amazing story of these kids taken into exile, kids at 13, young men. Between 13 and 18 is kind of how old they approximately were when all of this is happening. 13 to 18, sounds like Gen Z, right? Which is, I think, 15 to 21. So anyhow, they're in that age gap, and they are pulled into captivity. All of their beliefs adjusted, shattered, right? And now Nebuchadnezzar... Look, at, look what he says. Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. So what happened was he had a decree, and he said at the sound of the harp or the lyre or the horn, I now forget. But anyhow, it's all on there. Horn is on there, and there's more. Then everyone has to fall in the kingdom and worship the king. Well, these young men refused. They refused. And so they get brought before him, and he's like, okay, I'll give you a last chance, okay? Like, I actually get it. I love you. You're great. You guys are awesome. It's cool having you in my court. 
because they were invited to learn, and he was kind of bringing wise men in from everywhere. And so he was giving them one last chance. Well, sound the horn, and you guys will just fall down and worship. It's not a big deal. You can still follow your God. Still follow your God. Just fall down and be like everybody else. Fall down and worship like everybody else. Look how they responded. They answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of, our, out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. And as the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar was enraged, ordered the, fire, the furnace to be heated up well beyond normal, and they went and they threw these guys in the fire, and it was so hot that the guards that threw them in were burnt up alive on the journey over. And yet, that's what we were singing. There was another in the fire. <laughs> there was another in the fire. Jesus is in the fire. God is in the fire with them, and he keeps them from even being singed. They don't even smell like smoke when they come out. It's absolutely amazing. But what I want to highlight is, oh, isn't that a good story? Don't you want that for the next generation? Don't you want that for yourself? You see, our culture is increasingly demanding the same thing. That we bow down to whatever their morals are and to whatever their beliefs are. But did you know something about these young men? Do you know that they were trained already in a biblical worldview? The Torah. They had the first five books and they knew it. And in fact, when you read the story, you'll see that they knew it. When, when they were told to eat the food that they were not supposed to eat, they knew not to eat it. They knew about God's sovereignty. They understood also that God does save some and he's able to. So they knew God does intervene often on the earth. But they also knew that sometimes he doesn't. And then they knew that that didn't change that he was God. How did they know that? You see their worldview at play? Their worldview influencing their behaviors? They didn't just stand there and said, no, we're not just going to go along with it because we don't want to. They had answers. They were built on something. Okay. I'm skipping forward. Skip, skip, skip. Get into the Word. We're going to get, come back to that another day. We are going to, I know there is going to be a part, some of us in here, that are right now, okay, working up, a little bit of fear, there's lots of anxiety, I get that. Now we're like, okay, so what do I all have to know? What do I all have to know? Like, am I even saved? Can I be saved? How do we work all that out? Okay, keep it simple. This is what I'm going to say. So, yes, study, we study, yes, absolutely, yes. We work, we build our lives on here, but we keep our faith very simple. We're going to come back to that another week, don't worry about it. We keep it simple, and we just say, yes, Lord, I will. We went over this last week. So I'm going to bring it back, then we're going to end. We, we talked about the cross last week, and so it's fitting. I'm going to go back to a video clip that's going to show, or it's and someone else teaching, because he teaches better than me. And he's going to talk about the, the thief on the cross. So, guys, if you can cue that video now. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you, first of all. Are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> I love that. You've probably seen that before. 
And if not, now you got to see it. I see it every Easter. It's always floating around Easter on social media. And uh, so we found a way to play it. But I wanted to bring it back to the simplicity of what it means to follow Jesus. You know, we talk about belief. It's a fire assurance. Is it this or is it that? It's a yes. That's what, that's what faith, saving faith looks like. It's a yes. And you can be that thief on the cross that has done nothing good, has done only bad. And it's your yes, he says, I will save you. So some of the key things to remember, and uh, just to go through it really fast here, Jesus saves you, it's not the other way around. I know when we're looking at all these things, well, I don't have that, I don't have the time to go into this, I'm not smart enough, I'm not a reader, I'm not a, I don't know what to do, like, I'm gonna totally end up falling off the map, I'm gonna screw up and I'm gonna mess this up for my kids or my family. Take a deep breath and remember her. Jesus is the one that saves you, not the other way around. You're just saying yes to him. That's your job. And then we keep saying yes to him, and that is what it means. This is the love of God. Not that, not that we loved him, but he loved us and sent his son to, the, to be the propitiation for our sins. His job is to lead us into truth. I want you to think about this. Do you think, I mean, God knows everything. Do you agree on that? He's all-powerful. He knows everything. Scripture says that while you were in sin, Christ died for the ungodly. It means he died for you. Do you know that he already knew all of your insecurities, weaknesses, and lack when he made you? He didn't expect you to do it on your own. But he does expect a response. He wants us to give our yes to him. And I'm going to close on that. Lord, my prayer today is there, I know there are those that are here that maybe have not said yes to you that first time. They're still deciding if they want to follow you. And Jesus, today I pray that your spirit would reveal the person of Jesus Christ in their hearts, that you would give them the faith to respond with a yes. Lord, I pray for the next generation and for all of us in here, all generations who continue to walk as sinful, weak human beings. Lord, that you would remind us of the simplicity Today, you're asking us to pick up our cross, to deny ourselves and follow you. Today, we can give our yes to you. Lord, I ask that you would give courage to those that are stuck in anxiety and addiction to get back up and to keep getting up and chase you with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then, Lord, for all of us, would our yes include more than just yes, we believe, but yes, we will follow. We will follow you into the culture. We will love you, we will love people, we will forgive our enemies, and we will make disciples of the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.